Welcome to Getting Technetical, a Technetics podcast. Your source for insights on engineered ceiling and component solutions for the world's most demanding environments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Now, on the previous episode, we talked a lot about the commercial aerospace space, where that market was going, some of the factors that were contributing to it, and previewed a little bit more for 2022. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the commercial space market and diving into that and some of the factors that are impacting that market as well. There is a ton of activity in the aerospace and defense market, so a lot to get into here in this episode of the show. And joining me for this episode, once again, is Jason Riggs, the Director of Strategy for the Americas at Technetics. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Tyler. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. So like I mentioned today, we are diving into the commercial space market. So Jason, let's kick things off right here. What are some of the trends you're seeing right now in the commercial space market? Well, one of the trends that we continue to see play out is new entrants into the space, both on the propulsion system side and the launch vehicle side. With that, we're also seeing continued investments in those businesses, both through private funding, as well as through the public markets, particularly via SPACs. Some of the new players, for instance, Ursa Major, been around for a couple of years, just this week secured another $85 million in funding. Relativity Space, who develops both rockets and propulsion systems, they've already hit a valuation of well over $4 billion, and they've only been in business a few years. And with some of those, those businesses, we're also seeing a lot of progress being made in uh, different styles and types of manufacturing. So, for instance, 3D printing for some companies, particularly people like Relativity Space, is really kind of core to their business. And we're seeing them really kind of start with 3D printing for flight structures, pulsion components, et cetera. The other, I would say, trend that we're really seeing with a lot of the commercial space players is particularly folks like SpaceX and Blue Origin, who have been at this a little bit longer. They're now reaching points in some of their designs where there's design stability. They're not iterating as much on some of the more stable platforms. And that's also helping them to uh, create cost efficiencies. So, for instance, with folks like SpaceX and Blue Origin, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, they were using hardware that was kind of boutique-y, you know, one-off custom technology solutions, whereas now that things have stabilized, they're really kind of showing a preference for more standardized designs, in some cases, even more commercially off-the-shelf hardware, again, versus kind of those custom uh, one-off solutions. And I think really what's driving a lot of that is the desire to take cost out, but then also to ensure continuity of supply, especially as a lot of their supply base is shared with the commercial aerospace market, which as we discussed before, is really feeling a lot of the stress and strain from the, the rebound now that we're kind of moving out of the, the lulls of the pandemic last year. So one of the things that, that we've, we've certainly noticed has been an increased number of space launches. What is driving that increased number and maybe that rise that we're seeing right now? So there's a few factors at play. Certainly, you know, the need for nation states to lift national security payloads into orbit still remains strong. So most major nations are still putting different types of national security payloads, and that can be anything from a spy satellite to communication satellites to satellites that are looking at the atmosphere and different environmental factors. Probably more significant in terms of volume of launches, I would say, is kind of our global hunger for data and connectivity. I've recently read that just under 50% of global households in, in the world still don't have access to the internet. So there's, there's a massive problem to be solved there. And it appears that large satellite constellations providing internet to those places is, is going to be the answer to that problem. 
and a lot of that is really driven by the fact that the cost and the size of these communication satellites has been drastically reduced, which is really enabling businesses to, to put more of those constellations in orbit. We're also seeing launch vehicles have become much more efficient. You're seeing vehicles being reused by SpaceX, you know, 10 times now. And that certainly has brought the cost of launch services down, which for folks who are in the business of maybe building satellites or, you know, operating constellations, but they don't have their own rockets like a Blue Origin or SpaceX, they can now hire a ride for a much more affordable price tag, which again makes operating those types of businesses much more kind of commercially viable. And there's quite a few people who fall into that category. You've got companies such as AST Space Mobile, which is a startup, and their model is to operate constellations where they're connecting the satellites directly to a consumer smartphone, kind of similar to what you may recall with Iridium. This week, another startup called Astronus announced a deal where they're going to be bringing satellite broadband to the country of Peru within two years. And then there's quite a few other players kind of in that same category, Telesat, Airbus has a JV with OneWeb, Lockheed has a JV with OmniSpace, and of course, Amazon has their, their project Kuiper, uh, which is their effort to create and operate constellations. And of course, most significantly, SpaceX's Starlink program is the one that's really out in front. To date, they've launched about 2,000 satellites, but their most recent filing with the FCC requested the ability to launch over 40,000 satellites for that constellation. So we expect a lot of growth ahead for that program. And on a related note, I read a report recently that noted that these space launch services, which includes everything from, you know, building the hardware to actually providing the launch, but that space launch service market is expected to grow at around a 13 to 14% CAGR, putting the market size at over $26 billion by the year 2027. So there's a lot of growth ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, as we mentioned off the top, the aerospace and defense markets have certainly had a lot of activity, and there have been a lot of technological advancements that have really propelled the commercial space and the commercial market forward. What are some of the technology trends that you're seeing in the broader aerospace and defense markets? Yeah, so in those broader markets, both in, in aerospace and defense, sustainability and ESG are, are really kind of hot button issues, current priorities for both engine makers and airframers. And there's a lot of different kind of schools of thought on how we can get to more sustainable flight. One of those ideas is sustainable aviation fuels, which looks to be a relatively promising path forward. Just last week, actually, United flew a 737 MAX with passengers on 100% sustainable aviation fuel, the first time that's ever been done. So that shows some promise kind of more in the near to intermediate term, kind of longer term. There's hybrid electric aircraft that are being discussed, primarily for the smaller class, maybe 150 seats and smaller. But you've got big players such as Rolls-Royce and GE, for instance, that are looking at hybrid electric, electric solutions. There's, of course, hydrogen aircraft, and you've got big players like Airbus who are really making some good progress there. And then, of course, there's also supersonic aircraft, which some argue is also kind of falls into the bucket of sustainability. And we heard the CEO of Boom Supersonic, who's the key player there, kind of make his pitch for why this is a more efficient and sustainable method of travel. And it's a very interesting pitch, very interesting technology, and it appears they've got a really solid business plan. So we may be the cusp of re-entering supersonic travel again. And then, of course, separate from that, we've got the all-electric aircraft makers. That's certainly a trend that continues. You know, that's going to be more your smaller quadcopter and a helicopter replacements. And you've got startups such as Joby, who are making a lot of progress, and even players such as Embraer. 
And then lastly, in terms of technology advancements and kind of shifts in the market, um, certainly we would want to mention hypersonic missiles. For those who aren't maybe familiar with that technology, you're talking about missiles that travel at about five times the speed of sound, which means they cover about a mile per second. These weapons are able to deliver both conventional and nuclear payloads anywhere in the world within literally minutes. So we are certainly entering a new arms race, really being kind of led by the U.S., Russia, and China. And here in the U.S., contractors such as Lockheed and Raytheon are really at the forefront of developing that technology. And it's interesting because the hypersonic vehicles themselves are certainly out and about. We've seen media reports about countries like China testing recently. Unfortunately, the U.S.'s current defenses may or may not be sufficient to kind of protect against these hypersonic weapons. So that's a big area of focus, particularly for the defense complex. There's a lot of opportunities there for contractors to kind of help advance that state of the art. And certainly it is a race. This is a very time sensitive matter for those in the defense complex. So Jason, as we uh, begin to wrap up our conversation today, just talking about the space market and the space industry in general, covering a lot of different aspects of this, do you have any closing thoughts, anything you want to leave us with here today and leave the listeners with in terms of the, the space market heading into 2022? Yeah, so as we think about the commercial space market, we know that market's going to continue to grow and evolve very quickly, as it always has. Technetics has been heavily involved in the commercial space market since the onset, and we're confident that we'll continue to grow as that market grows and evolves. We're also excited about the technology advancements that we're seeing in the broader aerospace and defense market. Our goal is really to develop and acquire technologies that will allow us to to help drive these markets forward, not just chase them. And we feel really good about where Technetics and NPRO at large are positioned to be able to support these markets as they continue to grow and evolve. Excellent stuff. Jason Riggs, Director of Strategy for the Americas at Technetics. Jason, thank you again so much for joining us here on this episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. Thank you, Tyler. It was a pleasure. And everyone out there, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. We appreciate it very much. Of course, for more, you can visit the Technetics website and reach out to people like Jason if you have questions, if you want to learn more about the work that Technetics is doing in these areas and stay up to date with the latest in uh, in aerospace and space markets and things along those lines. Of course, you should subscribe to the podcast as well at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new episodes of the show. But for this one, for my guest today, Jason Riggs, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us.